kind of fun today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a little tool here that we've been using in our church last, uh, last month or so. And coming out of Easter, our church in northern Atlanta, in Woodstock, Georgia, not that Woodstock, but a Woodstock, and uh, we used this series called Park Rules, and we invited our church into a throwback series of growing in childlike faith that many of us in our adult years can become stuffy, can become stale, especially if it comes to aspects of our faith where Jesus invited us over and over again to remember a childlike faith. So we had this whole park set up on our, on our stage. We invited our church to remember what it was like to be raised by park rules when you had to be home by the time the street lamps came on. Can I get an amen? And when we tour around Muskegon, I show my wife all the spots that I rode my bike to. Probably my parents didn't even know, but it was well more than a mile away from our house on roads with no sidewalks. And today we look at that and we think, I don't let my kids off my cul-de-sac, much less onto Sherman going to McDonald's a mile plus from my house in Muskegon. So what happens is we get away from some of the truths that we're raised in, where we used to play tag with friends. Now we're tagging friends on social media platforms. Things change. So we had a merry-go-round on our stage, and we talked about a, a paraphrase in the, uh, in the message translation of Jesus saying that he was the author and the finisher of the spin we're in. And at times, life gets kind of unexpectedly turned in ways that we get really dizzy from it. But if we'll set our eyes on him, the spinning and the dizziness has a purpose. And we had a slide on stage. I spent a week talking about the slide of how there's a process to the slide. You have to climb up the ladder and you ride the slide down. Then you have to get back in line, right, on the playground to wait your turn, climb back up the ladder to ride the slide down. Inevitably, maybe you or some punk kid on that playground got down with his ride, turned right back around and went back up the slide, shortcutting the process, putting himself first. And in many of our times in our faith, we backslide or go back up the slide to shortcut the process God has for us to put ourselves first ahead of others. And that's not how God intended us to live. So I was asking Pastor Josh, man, you know, what can I bring to your church family for the season you're walking into? And he said, man, we're getting into a time where we're celebrating relationships. And, you know, school's getting out. We've got our 90-day period for good weather in Michigan. And, you know, this, this is the campaign of Pure Michigan where we have to, you know, advertise people to come visit our, our, our state. So, um, so, man, you know, we have a lot of summer small groups and this interest party, the interest meeting will be the night you come and really talk to folks how they can lean into relationships. And oddly enough, the last week that I spoke for Park Rules, I used a seesaw. And y'all remember a seesaw or a teeter-totter, right? You get on one side and someone gets on the other side and you go up and down and kind of like the woo feeling when you go up and then you got to work a little bit to raise the person on the other side uh, on the other side. And it, it's fun about a seesaw because kind of anybody can play at this. I mean, I can lift a man two or three times my size because of the leverage that a seesaw helps to, um, to utilize. And it's just a fun game that everyone gets to play. And inevitably the, the bad uncle you have jumps off and your seat goes crashing down and my nine-year-old son did that to me in the living room floor last night as we were building this. I ordered it from Amazon, had it delivered to my parents' house. And he like jumped off and I went, you know, just sprawling out into the living room floor. I was like, yeah, thanks, little buddy. I'm gonna, I'll take care of you later. But the idea that I wanna use this picture for is that balanced relationships are possible, but they're not probable. So we have this thing in natural life called gravity and in a spiritual way, there are worldly ways that weigh us down that ultimately end up making us act up against others that we're supposed to be in relationship with. And the seesaw, or the teeter-totter of relationships has a way of unbalancing itself. So I want to talk to you today 
about the seesaw of unbalanced relationships and how we can find this balance of connecting with others in life and in relationship and how relationships in the church can help us maintain and manage our relationships outside the church, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in those family relationships of in-laws and outlaws and friendships and all the things that circle around. Folks in the church can help grow us in ways. And if you'll take this step with me today, using this seesaw as the illustration, my hope is you'll walk home today and have to think of a relationship that you might have to manage or mend or balance in a totally different way than you thought when you came in. So Isaiah chapter 26 kind of gives a little bit of a focus to this. In verse 7, I took a couple different translations for 7 and verse 8 for the NET in the verse 7 and the New King James in verse 8. But it says that the way of the righteous is level, that the path of the righteous that you make is straight. So God's telling us, I have evened out the things, the indifferences that unbalance you, that yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have, say it with me, we have waited for you. So although we have the weights of life that weigh us down, God's asking us to wait upon him to make our paths and our ways level and straight and even. And for some of us, we have to look first at what God wants to do inside of us before we can ever start to fix the person on the other side of this leverage point that we're trying to manage life with. So many times we want to fix our spouse, we want to fix our boss, we want to fix our employee, we want to fix our family member, when God's saying, I want you to wait on me to fix what's in you first, to repair what's wrong there first. What I love about newlyweds, like my brother, they just get along so well right now with his wife, and it's like, guys, just wait, because you haven't been married two years yet. All the trouble's still coming. (laughs) All, All the issues are still on their way. And for the newlyweds in the house, you can probably get a lot of amens from the, the old weds in the house that have been down the, the troubling roads. And amen, sister. And know the ways. That's Olivia testing out her lungs, her praise lungs there. So I want to talk today about the weight of unbalanced relationships, how you can wait upon God to weigh in on the things that you're feeling weighted about. So the first thing here is unbalanced communication. We all have aspects of our relationships that are unbalanced when it comes to communication. For all the guys, we struggle here because we put our foot down and say, listen, it's my way. I'm the dad. I'm the boss. I'm I'm the voice here. You got to listen to what I say. I'm putting my foot down and we're not moving off this way. And communication can become unbalanced here when it's my way or the highway because I'm not willing to talk about the very thing that frustrates me. I'm not willing to wait and to listen to what you have to say. And in doing so, I squash out the ability for us to connect in communication. One of my pastoral mentors talks to me about how to approach couples that are in relational discord and said, Sean, if you'll you know, hear out what their issues one with one another and then encourage them to leave this meeting and to push pause on what that issue is and just focus on their relationship with God. If you'll focus there first, most of the time what happens here will fix what happens here. But it's when we don't negotiate the communication here because we're not negotiating the communication there, we have a lot more horizontal issues because of the vertical vacuum that has taken place in our life. When we get vertical first with God, we're able to fix all the things on the horizon. And the same pastor told me a story of a couple he had in his, in his office. And the husband said this to the wife and the pastor. He said, how can you be so beautiful and so stupid at the same time? <laughs> so guys, you may not want to take this my way or the highway step sometimes because she paused, she collected herself. She said, well, God may be beautiful, so you'd be attracted to me. 
God may be stupid, so I'd be attracted to you. So God, <laughs> a my way approach of communication is not a way we want to unbalance the seesaw of life. Secondly, sometimes we get into unbalanced expectations. And this a lot of times ladies can get into where they maybe throw their hands up and they say, fine, it's your way. I give up. Have it your way, all the way. I just, I, I want to seek peace here for peace sake. I just want to help even things out. And you can have all the direction and all the focus and all the, the response you want. And a lot of times anger can, can manifest itself in this mindset because your heart has grown sick with all the expectations that have gone deferred. That heart grows sick when its affections and what it, what it loves is being separated from it. And I don't have the things I'm looking for because I've deferred all the rights over to you. We're not balanced. I'm just throwing my hands up. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 speaks to this when it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Question mark. Well, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Again, fixing you first before you try to fix the other person. That you want something, but you don't get it. There's this gap here and your heart's grown sick. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. And many times in this aspect of unbalanced relationships, when we're deferring our way to someone else, what, what, we're, what we're experiencing is um, all the expectations that we, that we want to hold on someone else, we should put on God for our life with him first before we ever try to see that person without our, our communication, our expectations clearly laid out there of, of being able to be balanced in itself. So not just throwing our hands up, not putting our foot down, and certainly not next, having uh, unbalanced differences. And this is where you kind of throw the line down the middle of the sand and say, okay, you have it your way half the time. I'll have it my way half the time. What we commit to is just being unhappy the other half of the time, <laughs> that we're just frustrated and sick of ourselves and sick of each other the other half of the time, that we don't get what we want. And, you know, for so many of us, we're attracted to the difference that our spouse makes in us. And you complete me, I think, is the, the famous phrase from Jerry Maguire back in the day, because we look at the differences in the dating relationship and we love that. But then once you get married, that difference that drew you to her or him initially is the very thing that irritates you in the, in the secondary part of your relationship. For my wife and I, she doesn't always put tops on things. And I think at first I thought it was probably cute, like I was going to fix this part of her. Well, almost 16 years now into the marriage, I'll reach for a cinnamon or a spice in the back of the cabinet when very rarely I ever, I ever cook. But you, know, you start to crane that thing out of the cabinet, it falls everywhere. It's like, baby, just put, put another quarter turn in that thing, please, just a little bit more, just something. And there's differences in me, like, you know, where I store my clothes, like all over the floor, like, you know. <laughs> in a very systematic, organized pattern for me. So there's differences, and it's fun for us to see the differences kind of melt down in different concentrations to our different kids and how they're different altogether themselves. And it kind of just drives them nuts. Well, they don't always get along because they're not always looking for the balance together in the relationship. But for so many of us, we sit here and we try to disregard the halfway, we, we, we disappoint and we downplay their value on the other side. And it's so, so, so evident in our politics today. And, and I love the stance that back in the day when Abraham Lincoln had won his election, he actually nominated his, his, uh, the candidate he was running against to his cabinet because he wanted a voice from the other side of the fence in the Oval Office with him. 
And he celebrated the differences, not to put down and to slam and to make commercials and all the junk we have in politics today, but to celebrate that we have to be a united American states. We have to be a united states together as we, as we look into making new ground with our country. Mark chapter 3 says that the house is divided against itself. If we have your way and my way, we can't stand. We have differences, moral and ethical differences at times. We can't let go of those, of those strongholds that we find true in Scripture. But man, don't disregard and cut to the ground things of the other side of the fence that you just don't see eye to eye on when it comes to economics and community development or whatever. Let's celebrate differences so we're not just stuck mad half the time. Amen? Lastly, there's an unbalanced sin in all of our life. And this is God's way of saying, listen, you and I have got some work to do in you first. We've got to look at that first. And as long as we remain on this side of the seesaw of life, we remain behind the fulcrum point on our side of the leverage, the midway point of this relationship. But once I decide to stop leaning away from the relationship the other side and now lean into the relationship, I give up my natural position on the seesaw. I'm deferring my physical position, my weight of controlling what's happening over here. And I'm now seating myself naturally to now gather supernaturally and spiritually what I can't get by sticking to my seat on the seesaw of relationships. And this is where when you start to serve people around you with what God has given you, not sitting in the back row, not, not waiting for someone else to take care of a community need that Vertical Church is getting involved in, but even where you're at and who you are, whether it's a small group or serve, coming tonight to the interest meeting, just finding out how the gifts God has given you, you can position and place in the local church as, as much or as little as you might think of yourself, there's something God has for you to do for others. And you'll never know if you sneak in during the first worship song and leave during the closing announcements what that gift could be. So stop staying out here in your place of controlling the balance of life and lean into the relationships, crossing over the middle to now connect with others that can lead you so that you can lead someone else. Someone say amen. So here's some closing steps I want to give you as you look at the idea of how to bring balance by bonding with others, how to bring balance by connecting with others in relationship. Number one is that you and I will bring balance and not tip the scales. In other words, be willing to act and not react. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Tara and I were at the pool, and it was one of those times in our marriage where it's like, man, we, we did it again. We allowed this season to kind of overwhelm us, and we're frustrated with each other, and it's just kind of, eh. And it's like, we know when it comes. We know when we're in it. And then you kind of delay and struggle to get out of it. So how about we make a plan now that the next time the season comes, we'll identify it in advance. We'll have a strategy to kind of navigate it to, to hopefully limit it or even eliminate it so we don't get into this funk again. It's like, why, why do we let this thing kind of come? We know what causes it. We know what makes it linger. Let's, let's make a battle plan to absorb it in advance. And if you'll make a pre-fight plan, you'll see how you have to unbalance the scales by humbling yourself. In fact, James chapter 4 says this, that um, uh, if I humble myself before the Lord, he will lift me up in ways that I can't do myself. If I try to raise myself, there's nothing more he can do. Because I'm, I'm, I'm playing by my rules. If I play by his rules, I get his results. So if I humble myself, if I cede my position, if I give up my leverage and my weight, and I begin to wait upon him and the relationship that I'm indifferent with, I start to see the advantage of that relationship through God lifting me in ways that I can't lift myself. Look to bring balance, not tip the scales. You, you know what it takes to tick off your boss. 
You know what it takes to put the pressure on your spouse to get what you want? You know what it takes to count to one, two, I'm going to whoop your tail on three. You ready? On, on the count of three, I'm going to whoop your tail. Don't make me count to three. And you see, you see that leverage point, we're swinging our weight. We're not serving the person in need at that point. We're trying to leverage and get control of the fulcrum point between us and the relationship. Number two, look to lift others, not weigh them down. And for so many of us in our relationships, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of bad we can see. We'd like to fix all these things over here. I would encourage you to walk home tonight and find the good. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere. Find it. Celebrate that. Speak that up. Coach that up. Cheerlead that aspect. If you'll speak to it, you'll take the weightiness out of their life as well as out of yours because now you're speaking life and not trying to weigh things down. In fact, the perfect example of this is what Jesus left us in Luke chapter 9 when he said to all of them and all of us, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That Jesus lifted the weight of the, the dead weight of, of the cross, which represents your trouble and mine. And by lifting that weight and carrying it through town, and being crucified to it, he took the dead weight, the dead trouble, the dead sin of your life and mine and said, I'll lift that so that you can be raised in your own life, that the weight of your life can be lifted because of what I'm carrying. Now I'm going to ask you as a Christian, which means you're just like Christ, to lift the dead weight of others so if they can experience the, the elevated life. And in doing so, waiting upon God, you'll lift the weightiness of your life and experience a life that you can't experience any other way. It's doing what Christ did for others that he did for us. And thirdly here, and lastly as I close, that there's an idea that you and I will have to come to the side of others and deliver the very grace we've already been given, the grace of God. That when we're seated at this place and we, we recognize our leverage, we recognize our weight, and we know how to work the system, there'll come a time we'll have to remove our position, our seat, our place of safety and security, and begin to walk over to serve them and come alongside their life. And it's funny in this place of how much grace we will willingly receive but how little grace we'll so willingly give. I mean, when we mess up, we fall short. It's like, oh, please forgive me. I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did this again. Oh my gosh. Please, please, please see past this shortcoming. And then employee of yours or your child comes home five minutes late past curfew or an employee is five minutes late to a meeting, you're ready to fire them or hang their pants by a telephone wire somewhere. Can I get an amen? Because we don't give the grace we've been given or that we would prefer that we've been given. We're so, we're so tight with keeping our place of, of pressure and control and I'm going to dominate this side of the equation that we don't move ourselves from that seat. So studying this aspect out, I came to this verse that really took me some time to dig into the context of why it was written. Here in Romans chapter 12, it says, Do not take revenge. And the writer here in Hebrews is talking to us, My dear friends, but, oh, I'll go back, I'm sorry. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, that it's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. And the next verse here in verse 20 says, that on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, we'll feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So that's kind of an echo of, of what Pastor Josh said in the offering today. But then it goes on to say, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. And man, when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, that's right, God, that's right. Give it to him, burn him to a ground. Just like annihilate him, incinerate him, take care of my enemies. I'll give him a drink, but you burn him, you just burn him whole. It doesn't kind of sound right, right? Because the verse before was very giving and this one sounds 
kind of condemning. So I looked up what burning heaping coals is. And it was a resource in this time frame because it provided light, like a fire. It provided heat, like a furnace. It provided a cooking source, like a stove. And it was a non-renewable source that once you burned it, it was gone. So it was a commodity that was in really rare availability. So when you gave burning coals to someone, you gave them in today's context, a heap of cash. It was like coming from a non-renewable source of I'm gonna give you something that you may not be able to recreate at any other venue, but I'm gonna give you this. And it takes us from a place of looking at conflict from a vantage point of how can we control it to a vantage point of participation and seeing life be served. So Miss Serena, would you come on up here, girl? Come on up here. Would you take a seat right down there for me? I had Pastor Josh and Jessica's, go ahead and sit right there for me. Pastor Josh and Jessica's daughter in the first service, but Miss Serena and I are gonna do a little seesaw ourselves here. So as I am raised up by her, she goes down. As I work to go down, she goes up. And it's about as low as I can get, even though it says all grown up, it's not for grownups, I don't think. So here's the give and take of relationship. But as long as we stay here, we leverage the falcon, the falcon point. We leverage the fact that our weight is balancing each other and we never cross the center line of going to the other side of the relationship. So what God is asking us, if you'll stay right there for me, if, what God is asking us, if we'll give up our natural position, come alongside, connect in relationship and serve, what we can do now is experience the same, the same lift, the same humbleness, but we're now coming alongside others and serving in ways that we can't do if we stuck stay stuck on our seat over there. Y'all give Miss Serena a big hand clap. Thank you so much. Good job, though. So my hope for some of you is that you would just take the step this summer of getting into a study, getting into relationships, because I promise you when you connect with the church family, it does something for you and your other relationships you can't get elsewhere. There's something in God's house with God's family doing God's thing that you'll never experience anywhere else with the baseball team, with your knitting club, with whatever you do, you'll never experience like you experience it with God's family. The problem is we're so scared of crossing that divide because it removes all the natural assurance that we have of, well, if I sit here, at least I know, but you'll never know until you remove yourself from that seat, come across the midline, giving up all that's comfortable, giving up all that's usual, that's familiar, that's controllable to you. And when you get alongside another relationship in the church, in God's family, begin to realize shortcomings of yourself and how you can be supported through his scripture, through his relationships in the church. So then become all that God intended you to become.